Welcome back to the Banderpod, the writerly and readerly podcast of Bandersnatch Books. We're a small press publisher of treasures found off the beaten path for lovers of all that is good, true, and beautiful. I'm Rachel Donahue, and today I'll be your host as we're talking with author Lauren G. Warnamundi about collaborating with non-writers, particularly non-writing family members. Lauren is the author of the Daughter of Arden trilogy, which is a retelling of the Grimm's fairy tale Maid Meline. Exile, Wandering, and Promise have all been published by Bandersnatch Books. Lauren Warnamundi, welcome to the Banderpod. Hello, it's so great to be here. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I'm a huge fan of your writing and have loved these books from the very beginning. So to get this conversation rolling, why don't you tell our listeners about your books? Give us the elevator pitch. Okay, so as you said, it's a retelling of the fairy tale Maid Maline of the Brothers Grimm. Uh, the gist is the Princess Maline, her father has declared that she is going to marry the son of an allied kingdom, or um, she will wait out a coming war in the tower that they are going to build for her. Of course, Maid Maline is not interested in this prince at all. And so she's waiting for her knight in shining armor to come swooping in and take her away. So she goes for the tower and that's the, the kickoff because yeah. it just goes from there. <laughs> right. And then, so that's basically book one is her time in the tower. So then what flows out from that books two and book three? Wandering through a war-torn kingdom when Maline and her maidservant have no idea what happened over the past three years. They have very few uh, resources, but her hope and goal is to rally her people to retake her own kingdom. Mm. And yes. <laughs> and and by the time we get to book three, like this is a full-blown fantasy. I mean, this is no longer in the realm of just a fairy tale retelling. Like this is there are elements of magic and um, it's, it's kind of on an epic scale. You know, you've got these kingdoms battling and power and it's, it's a fascinating development. I want to talk about the seed of the idea for this. Obviously it's a retelling of a fairy tale. So J.R.R. Tolkien had the seed of an idea, just this Hobbit, this concrete image. C.S. Lewis had this idea of a fawn with parcels by a lamppost and kind of the stories grew out from there. I've heard Carrie talk about Rose Fire kind of grew out of this line of poetry from, from T.S. Eliot. So talk to me about like how the seed of the idea grew that made you want to develop this into a story. We had a big picture book when I was a kid that included Maid Moline, and that's how I first heard of the story. So I grew up thinking it was well known. It had stellar pictures. It was it was printed in the 1960s. So I love the lush illustrations with the girls with their gowns are just incredible. There's a picture of her ball her wedding gown toward the end that's just incredible. The idea of surviving um was part of it too because she and her maid survive on nettles you know so this this idea of could you really eat nettles you know would that actually work and so as i got older and discovered other retellings of fairy tales i took the image the images in my head i started looking into more things like you know can you eat nettles amazingly you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this series was 25 years in the writing 
from beginning to end. So in these early days, you were newly married and I've met your husband, Craig. He's an engineer and he is not a writer. And I know that Craig has been a part of this process. And I want to hear you talk a little bit about what that looked like from the very beginning. So I will say, in some ways, Craig is a writer. One of the reasons that I kind of was attracted to him from the very beginning was was I found out that he had done better in, in like his AP English class in high school than I did. Oh. He was a well-rounded character, let's just say. Right. Okay. Um, so he does have some writerly tendencies. He is not a, a dedicated writer. Right. And, and now his much more technical writing, you know, in terms of what he's writing. Yeah. So I've heard you talk about how early on Craig heard you were working on this story and he said. When I first started writing it, it was, you know, romance. And Craig's like, that's really boring. There's so many more interesting things you could be doing with it. That was kind of the initial of our ongoing conversations because throughout the 25 years of writing, he was always my sounding board. He always was the one who said, well, how about such and such? And it was almost always something that I wanted to throw in the towel, throw something at him, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Because it seemed to derail everything I had planned. Mm -hmm. And inevitably again and again and again until that I just expect it now within a couple days my brain would have gone to work on what he had suggested been playing with other ideas that had been already in place Mm -hmm. and suddenly new things would start emerging and all of it would mesh together Mm. in something much better than what I had originally planned I love that. I love that he has been a part of this creative process. I mean, this is your story. It's your writing. It's your voice. But Craig's fingerprints really are all over the story, too. And I know we were having a conversation briefly before we started recording about how Craig, being an engineer, has definitely influenced how you describe the structure of a tower or bridges. Like You start to notice the architecture in a way that is very concrete that just brings the world to life. And I find that to be fascinating. So were there ever any moments of, I mean, you've said that there's some tension, like he's going to throw something out there and initially you disagree with it. It takes you some time to process. Were there any points where you, the two of you were in disagreement about something about this story? The third one, she's dealing with her courtiers, her nobles from her country. And it's her first time really dealing with them as their possible queen. And she's trying to navigate this situation. Probably one of the reasons why it took me so long to get to the third book. One of the reasons was because I didn't know I'm politics. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to (laughs) write politics. And Craig kept saying, hey, this will be really great. You'll really be able to get into the politics of it. And the um, negotiation of what's happening. And I'm like, no, this is horrible. This is not what I want this third book to be about. And so I would push back on it constantly. And in some ways he helped me with, with navigating that. It, it definitely ended up becoming more the way I would do it and how I would navigate the politics than maybe he would have envisioned in the first place. I found out I, you know, a lot of politics is, is negotiation and diplomacy. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I can write that. I've got experience with that as a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's amazing how these things apply. Yeah. Arbitrating a fight between children is, yeah, it has similarities to uh, diplomacy on the state level, I'm sure. 
Right. All right. So once you had reached the end of this whole trilogy, like you've been collaborating with Craig all along and having these conversations, but you also are doing this in the midst of family life and your children have definitely, their imaginations got wrapped up in this as well. And so talk to me about how that started. At what point did your daughters start to really get involved in the story? And how did that process of working with them on the artwork develop? It Our, our girls were pretty early readers, um, our oldest Claire particularly. But I did have her put it off because I felt like I wasn't sure at that point, whether it was YA, whether it was more adult, you know, was this, were the themes okay? And it probably wasn't till she was 13 or 14 that I was like, oh, I, I think it's okay. You could, you could read this now. Hmm. So she read the first one, thoroughly enjoyed it, read the second one. About that time, her sister, Evie, started reading them, but the third one wasn't written. And suddenly they wanted to get the ending. <laughs> and I didn't have the ending written. So that was a motivating factor for getting the third book re- written. Yeah, that's a great motivator. <laughs> it definitely is helpful. It's like, why didn't I do this earlier? I should have introduced you. Through the the habit, or the online writing community, the habit, hmm. I found other readers, uh, including you, Rachel, were one of the, the early on ones of going, I want to read it too. Yes, and loved it. And that was definitely encouraging and motivating until I could finally get the third book written. They approved. My children approved of, of the third book. Craig approved. That's, I love it. <laughs> he, yeah. He actually, he, he did have, um, this is going back to Craig, but he had a, a very uh, important change that I had to make in the final chapter. So I had written the final chapter almost as a, a report written by someone else after the fact. Mm-hmm. And when he first read through it, he's like, this isn't a good report. The civil engineer with experience in business, he's like, this is a horrible report. This is not how you would write a report. So (laughs) I took it and completely rewrote it. It's not a report anymore. I love what you did with the last chapter, by the way. It's very creative and just ties everything together beautifully. So thank you. Thank you, Craig. Well, thank you. And thank you guys, too. You guys uh, pushed me to the final change on that one, which was a good a good move. So the girls got old enough to read it. They Then we contracted with Bandersnatch uh, in order to publish the books. And we knew early on that the girls would be able to do artwork for each of the chapter headings because both of them had gotten very mm-hmm. skilled in, in sketching and they were on board for that. So it was fun to pull them in on that and know that we could include them in the process. The fun part with the covers is that we had planned on, as you know, we, we'd planned on finding someone mm-hmm. professional to do the cover art who had experience in graphic design. And that was understood across the board. Mm-hmm. My kids were like, yeah, there's no way we're doing that. But that particular year, my daughter, Evie, was taking a graphic design class. And so she started playing. Claire had some sketches that she had made up because we were trying to brainstorm what would we want the covers to look like. Yeah, like you have to have some kind of design. You have to give some kind of idea to an artist who's going to take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. And it was, well, let's see, I saw you and Carrie in February 2022. Yes. And I had Evie's most recent mock-up. We all took a look at it and you and Carrie looked at each other and said, Ah, yeah. (laughs) It was absolutely beautiful and captured just so well what we had envisioned. We thought, let's just go with this. 
I love not only to see their skills blossoming, but also just the humility with which they were open to to working collaboratively and creatively. And I think that goes a lot toward seeing their parents work collaboratively and creatively together. <laughs> I there there always are family tensions that these relationships come into play and like whatever tension is already there as sisters or as mother and daughter or husband and wife, like obviously those things play in. (laughs) But when you have a healthy relationship, you can work through those things and end up with something beautiful at the end of it. I've just been fascinated by watching that whole process with your family and just the beautiful things that come out of it and the way you guys support one another and encourage one another. That's That's been a lot of fun. Well, we are drawing toward the end of our time together, and um, I just want to like hit you with a with a few popcorn questions, just some fun things to end on. Um, what's your favorite word? Oh my! I like so many words. Oh, I'll just pull one out. Luminescence. There we go. Luminescence. Ooh, that's lovely. What's your favorite writing snack? I always have water on hand. I mean, water's good. Water, this time of year, hot tea, mm-hmm. coffee in the morning is essential. So probably drinks. There you like go. That. Drinks, drinks more than snacks. That's good. Very cool. All right. And for the last question, because we are a publisher of treasures found off the beaten path, um, what is your favorite treasure found off the beaten path? A book that you've read recently or maybe an all-time favorite book that maybe people haven't heard of before. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with my standby, Mary Stewart, her 20th century British author, her adventure suspense romance stories, <laughs> which were definitely a genre of that time period, but she has such fabulous imagery in her writing. And I really like her characters, the the dialogue interaction. I love it. She always, they're in different locations that you can tell she's actually been to those places because the writing is so vivid. Mm. The way it's described is fabulous. Oh, that's wonderful. Mary Stewart. All right. That's one for us to explore. All right. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being on the Banderpod. And we wish you all the best with your trilogy. Thanks. Then may you find bookish treasures in your wanderings off the beaten path. Thanks for listening in to our conversation today on The Banderpod. We hope you'll check out our full catalog at bandersnatchbooks.com. The Banderpod is produced by Rachel S. Donahue, A.B. Donahue, and Carolyn Claire Givens. Audio engineering by S.D.G. Morgan. Artwork by Evelyn Warnemundy. Many thanks to our friend Chris Slayton of Son of Laughter for our theme song, Cricket in a Jar. Find links and more in the show notes.